week. That may or may not happen. Um, but I was, um, Madison has repeatedly asked us to speak on whatever the passage is that the kids are doing in Sunday school. So, and I'm pretty passionate about that. So I think it's great. I think it's great that parents can go home and say, this is what we heard. What did you hear? And compare notes. Um, so, yeah, next week we're supposed to be patience. And he said, just flip it and do patience and I'll do something else next week. And I was like, no, 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 no. I want to do what the Sunday school's doing. And it turns out that they are doing the story of Abigail. And I'm like, yes, a woman in the Bible. That's amazing. Um, often Abigail's story is kind of glossed over for the story of David. Plus, here she comes in, Abigail. Don't all turn around, she'll be embarrassed. Um, but, yes, so um, I was like, no, I'm going to do that. So, But what I'm going to do is I'm just literally going to read through the Bible story and I'm just going to stop and insert my thoughts and notes. Um, and then hopefully that should be reasonably quick and then like 10 minutes at the end I'll just like... What can we take away from it? So, um, yeah, we're just going to go through, hopefully, I have not timed this. I finished it at 10.30 last night and I started it on Thursday and I've just been doing bits and pieces in between work. (laughs) So hopefully it's not too much of a shambles and it will make sense. Please be gracious with me though. Um, Yeah, it's, it's good. It's a great story and it's brought up some really great conversations that I've had with people in the last few days. So... Um, yeah, so 1 Samuel, it's the Old Testament, records Israel's history from the birth of the prophet Samuel up through David's trials before he became king. It ends with the death of King Saul, which opens the door for David to ascend to the throne. Um, it's basically the biography of Samuel, story of David and Goliath, and the biography of King Saul, all of those things are included. But we're looking at 1 Samuel 25, which is David, Nabal, and Abigail. And it starts with this. Can, is, is that readable? Yeah, okay. Um, verse 1. Now Samuel died, and all Israel assembled and mourned for him, and they buried him at his home in Ramah. Then David moved down into the desert of Paran. Now, so this is, David has already slayed Goliath and he's been honoured by the people as, you know, amazing, you did this amazing thing with a slingshot. Um, David is anointed to become the next king and that's years before it actually happens. Saul has become jealous and tried to kill David and so David has fled for a period of seven years and although he has had the opportunity to kill Saul twice, he's refused. Um, as I said, Samuel has already died um, and David is on the run. Even though Saul has said, I'm not going to pursue you, he's decided, I don't quite trust Saul, so I'm going to take off. So he's a former shepherd um, turned warrior and honestly a little bit of a mercenary. He heads to this area of Paran knowing that him and his men um, can get work protecting the land, protecting farmers, protecting farms. Um, And by safeguarding them, perhaps from roaming bandits um, or natural disasters or animals or whatever, 
um, he can earn his keep a little bit. So then verse 2 says, A certain man in Maon who had property there at Carmel was very wealthy. He had a thousand goats and three thousand sheep, which he was shearing in Carmel. His name was Nabal and his wife's name was Abigail. She was an intelligent and beautiful woman, but her husband was surly and mean in his dealings. He was a Calebite, so naturally he was surly. Um, Now, we're going to talk about this a little bit later. Nabal's name actually means fool. And there's some talk that maybe it was a nickname given to him because of how he behaved consistently. Um, But he was hugely wealthy. Um, He was a landowner and he was a little bit of a cheat. Um, From the house of Caleb and so therefore from the tribe of Judah, same as David. He was probably married to Abigail through um, some sort of family deal. I don't think it would have been a choice. Um, You know, you have a chance to say no when it's your choice. (laughs) Clearly that didn't happen. Um, But she is super wise and obviously the focus of today. Now, in this story, she is kind of exemplified as the character of the Holy Spirit because she speaks such wisdom and calm and peace. Um, so she's an extremely wise woman married to an extremely irrational man. While David was in the wilderness, he heard that Nabal was shearing sheep. So I'm not sure if anybody else grew up on a farm. Did anybody grow up on a farm? Yep, Kylie. One of the best times of the year, sheep shearing time. As time, okay, so I grew up um, in Waipinga. My dad had a farm there. Sheep shearing time was the best. It was the time I said, Mum, can I stay home from school? And she always said yes because she needed a little bit of help around the kitchen because she had to cook these massive feasts for the farmers. They would start super early, the shearers, sorry. They would start super early in the morning. They would come in, have breakfast at 7.30, go back out, come in, have morning tea, go back out, then lunch and then whatever. Even when she made me go to school, I made Dad leave the shearing shed and come pick me up from school and take me home for the lunchtime meal, right? Because it was always roast. It was always like, it was delicious and it was cold outside. So it was always just a huge time. And there was all these people around and they were fun and they were working hard, but there was fun there. They knew they were going to get paid. They knew that we were going to sell the wool and the farm would get some income. And it's literally, when you're a sheep farmer, that's when you get paid for the year. And the rest of the time, you're dishing it out. But this is the time when it's all coming in, right? So David went, huh, he's shearing his sheep. We know what that means, festivities. Lots of food, lots of income. Time for big celebration. So he sent ten young men and said to them, go up to Nabal at Carmel and greet him in my name. Say to him, long life to you, good health to you and your household, and good health to all that is yours. Now I hear that it is sheep shearing time. When your shepherds were with us, we did not mistreat them, and the whole time they were at Carmel, nothing of theirs was missing. Ask your own servants and they will tell you. Therefore be favourable to, be favorable toward my men, since we come at a festive time. Please give your servants and your son David whatever you can find for them. Now... 
It's a little bit of a Kanye moment there from David where he kind of is like, go tell this guy how awesome I am so that he knows how awesome I am and then he will treat me awesomely. So it's a little bit arrogant, but, you know, (laughs) that's David. So we'll just just move on. Um, But it would have been a thing in that culture that these groups of men, warriors, rough guys, in Scotland in the 1600s, they would have been called the Watch and they would have been going around we're going to protect you but only because you'll give us stuff and we're going to expect that you give us stuff and if you don't give us stuff we're going to go in and take it right it's been happening in lots of cultures for a really long time um so when david's men arrived they gave nabal this message in david's name then they waited so they were waiting to just be repaid with what they were owed And it's not outside the realms of possibility that David allows his men to act this way. You know, we hear lots of stories of David being this man of God and and all of this, but he was a man after God's heart, not a holy man of God. So there's two really clear distinctions there. So he's okay with these men going in and kind of bullying their way in for food and payment. Nabal, uh, so Nabal answered David's servants, who is this David? Who is this son of Jesse? Many servants are breaking away from their masters these days. Why should I take my bread and water and the meat I have slaughtered for my shearers and give it to men from who knows where? So a little bit rude. He's gone again against the normal culture of hospitality in those times. No respect for custom, no respect for what God would have him do. And he was unwilling to part with his stuff. You would have heard, why should I take my bread and water and the meat I have slaughtered for my shearers? It's all about what he has and what he is profiting from. And he's not prepared to share that. Plus, he obviously knew who David was, right? The first thing he said was, David, son of Jesse. So he knows he had no respect for him. Who do you think you are is basically what he's saying. You left your master. So he knew the story that he'd left Saul. And he knew that at this stage, David had no power over him. And he almost denies that David had helped him at all. Then it goes on. David's men turned around and went back. When they arrived, they reported every word. David said to his men, I love this, each of you strap on your sword. And so they did. And David strapped his on as well. About 400 men went up with David, while 200 stayed with the supplies. So I'm not sure exactly how... um, hangry David was at this stage but you know when I'm a little bit hungry angry overreactions happen so we'll just give him a bit of the benefit of the doubt but as I said it's definitely an injustice Um, it is lacking in hospitality Um, but David's a little bit jacked up right he's a little bit like give me my food okay Lily's the same when she gets hungry too where's my pasta Okay, yeah, it is, Dad. Um, but he's uh, behaving a bit like 
Saul's war party, which he separated from Saul. There's no real reason to be like that. He's being a bit of a bandit. So one of the servants told Abigail, Nabal's wife, David sent messages from the wilderness to give our master his greetings, but he hurled insults at them. So this is where we get the proof of Nabal's character. He's yelling insults. So we all know that from the Bible. Like, this was written 200 years after the events, I think. So lots of it is paraphrasing from what would have actually happened. But you can imagine Nabal standing there, rawr, I'm not giving you my food. Um, And so we see the character that he is. Nobody can talk to him. No one can tell him where he's wrong. Um, And, you know, when someone's described that way, it kind of makes me think of um, a caricature of, like, a really tyrannical president or CEO. Um, He's obnoxious, he's arrogant, he's abusive, he's egotistical, um, and he just wants to keep things for himself. Not naming names. Um, And then the word goes on. Yet these men were very good to us. They did not mistreat us. And the whole time we were out in the fields near them, nothing was missing. Night and day there were a wall around us the whole time we were herding our sheep near them. Now, this is the character of David at this point. This is the David that we hear about in the Sunday school lessons. Um, He's leading honourable men and doing honourable things to protect the people who are vulnerable and it's a great picture of like can you imagine like he's got 600 men with him and he's got the sheep and the goats and the thousands of whatever and the farmers and the shepherds and they've made a wall around them protecting them at night from anything that can come their way it's like it's a really beautiful um, picture of protection Now think it over and see what you do because disaster is hanging over our master and his whole household. He's such a wicked man that no one can talk to him. Now they know who to go to to get the problem solved, right? They didn't go back to Nabal and say, dude, David's going to be furious with you. They went to Abigail because they know she's she's in charge, she's in control, She knows what's going on. She understands Nabal and she can fix things. When a problem comes, they go to the person who can really make men move. And then it says, Abigail acted quickly. And this is really important. We're going to come back to just that little line a little bit later. She springs into action. Somehow, I imagine that this is not the first time that she's had to cover for Nabal. She knows that she's got to run interference here. And I'm sure in her brain she's just creating a checklist for herself of things she needs to do and she acts on it and she goes. She's thinking and planning and preparing First of all, she's going to know that she has to have a confrontation with an angry man who is not her husband. So she has choices to make. She could run off and leave Nabal to deal with the whole lot. She could have done nothing and just waited to see it play out. She could have just thought, maybe you're overreacting. 
But instead, she puts all her energies into saving the life of her husband and his household. So this is what she did. She took 200 loaves of bread, two skins of wine, five dressed sheep, five sears, that's about 27 kilos of roasted grain, 100 cakes of raisins. I don't know why you'd want 100 cakes of raisins, but okay. 200 cakes of pressed figs, getting a bit closer, and loaded them on the donkeys. Then she told her servants, go on ahead, I'll follow you. But she did not tell her husband Nabal. She didn't want him meddling. And Nabal could have, have been the one to do this in the first place. So she's kind of figured, I'm going to bribe them with all this stuff. It's what they asked for anyway, um, rather than Nabal doing it and stuffing it up. Now, um, Nabal obviously knew who David was. And so we can probably pretty safely assume that Abigail did too. She was well-connected, she was rich, she was from a good family and she would have known what he was doing at the moment and she would have known other people and other um, warriors like David. So she would have presumed how he was going to act towards her. So she was pretty brave by just going... I'm just going to go and we're going to deal with it and we'll see what happens. As she came riding her donkey into the mountain ravine, there were David and his men descending towards her and she met them. David had just said, It's been useless all my watching over this fellow's property in the wilderness so that nothing of his was missing and he has paid me back evil for good. May God deal with David, be it ever so severely, if by morning I leave alive one male of all who belong to Nabal. So he's kind of rationalising his actions, right? He's paid, he has paid me back evil for good, so now I will give him evil. And literally, David is making a promise about his intentions. He can be killed if he doesn't get Nabal back for this. God, strike me down if I don't get vengeance on Nabal by murdering him and everybody associated with his house. Now, you'll notice that this is word here um, where he says male. If by morning I leave alive one male of all who belong to him. Now, that word male um, is actually in um, Hebrew. It's mashtin bekir, which means someone who urinates against the wall. So it's not like male as in Phil and Ben. It's male as in a slur. It's a derogatory term. Because most slurs that we use, if you use them, most slurs that are used, I should say, are um, verbs for the actions. Don't laugh. Verbs for the actions that people do, the actions that are not nice. So this is what he's saying. He's not just saying, I'm going to come in and kill men. I'm going to kill all of those who can we against a wall and I'm going to slaughter them and I'm going to do horrible things. I'm pretty sure that that part of David is also not taught in Sunday school. (laughs) The slurs. Um, When Abigail saw David, she quickly got off her donkey and bowed down before David, with her face to the ground, she fell at his feet and said, and said, pause. So she's putting herself in a posture of honouring David. 
even though she would have been petrified, knowing that David and his men could have grabbed the swords and just gone, lobbed her head off. No. She's honouring and begging towards him. Now, this bit, as we come to it, this is the longest uninterrupted speech by a woman in the Bible. And it's often not given a voice at all. Lots of people that I spoke to this week were like, I don't even know the story of Abigail. I didn't really, I mean, I like I knew it a bit, but I didn't really know how important she was. The longest speech, uninterrupted speech by a woman in the Bible. So there's a reason why that is. She says, pardon your servant, my Lord, and let me speak to you. Hear what your servant has to say. So um, that word for servant is actually a f- means female slave. So it's like, I will do whatever you ask because I am your slave. Please pay no attention, my Lord, to that wicked man, Nabal. He is just like his name. His name means fool and folly goes before him. So I said we'd come back to that name. Nabal fool, it actually doesn't mean, oh, you fool, you lost the TV remote. Or it's not like that. Fool in this terminology um, actually means someone who never follows God's instruction, ever. Everything he says is stupid. Um, Everyone takes offence. But she's, by saying this, by pointing out the meaning of his name, that he is a fool and folly goes before him, she's basically saying, he didn't offend you because your your actions were offensive. He offended you because he offends everyone. Okay. Uh, As for me, your servant, I did not see the men my Lord sent. If you'd sent the men to me, we would have had this fixed ages ago, right? Now, in this next section, you need to look out for, I think it's been put in caps, where it's the Lord as opposed to my Lord. So um, some translations say my Lord as in my Lord and Yahweh to differentiate between God and an honourable person. And now, my Lord, as surely as the Lord your God lives and as you live, since the Lord has kept you from bloodshed and from avenging yourself with your own hands, may your enemies and all who are intent on harming my Lord be like Nabal. And let this gift which your servant has brought to my Lord be given to the men who follow you. Please forgive your servant's presumption. The Lord your God will certainly make a lasting dynasty for my Lord. Because you fight the Lord's battles and no wrongdoings will be found in you as long as you live. So Abigail is the ultimate diplomat here, right? She makes David stop because God has given her the spirit to do so. So like I said, she's kind of speaking like the Holy Spirit character, David's conscience almost. She praises Yahweh. This is super interesting. She praises Yahweh for David's decision to stop and not kill anyone, even though he hasn't even made that decision yet. She thinks that God, um, she thanks God that David has decided to stop and take the gift she's offering, the one that he wanted in the first place, and says, David, you're so awesome because you focused on what God wants that you won't um, fight and you shouldn't fight. 
sometimes in an argument, you know how you need to make someone think that the idea was theirs in the first place? Like, you want to do something. It was like, this is like, when Jeff and I were talking about going overseas, he was just like, I'm going to take six months off of work and um, just, like, do a bit of study and do it, you know. And I was like, you know how you said a few weeks ago that sometime we should go travelling? Five weeks later, we're on a plane, right? So, it <laughs> wasn't an argument, but it was definitely a little bit of, like, Huh, ding. I remember that comment that you made. This is a little bit like that. Okay. She's she's convincing him by telling him he's already made that decision. Um and she's got wisdom in this and and the touch from God. Because later on in the story, we're not going to do it read it today, but we find out that Nabal God actually kills him. And David was just trying to get ahead of God by taking the matters into his own hands and doing it from a vengeful point of view. And when you do that, you get a whole lot of other people involved. People start coming on board with you. Um, You get... Everybody else was going to be killed when God just really was focusing on Nabal. So, in essence, she's saying, God's going to act, walk away, leave with God what is God, and leave it in God's hands, and don't take it back. Page six. Okay, we're doing okay. Good. Okay. Um, Even though someone is pursuing you to take your life, the life of my Lord will be bound securely in the bundle of the living by the Lord your God, but the lives of your enemies he will hurl away as from the pocket of a sling. So she knows, like I said, she knows who David is. She's bringing up the sling, right? She's bringing up the folktale of David and Goliath. And she's relating to him. Um, and it's reminding him also of the promises that God has made to David. And this has happened before. where God, He has gone to take something into his own hands And um, God has sent someone in his path to stop him. When the Lord has has fulfilled my Lord every good thing he promised concerning him and has appointed him ruler over Israel, my Lord will not have on his conscience the staggering burden of needless bloodshed or of having avenged himself. And when the Lord your God has brought my Lord's success, remember your servant. Isn't she clever? Remember me. When you're sitting up there on your throne, you won't have any guilt and it's because of what I'm telling you. More than that, her argument is rational and it's biblical and it's logical. David said to Abigail, Praise be to the Lord, the God of Israel, who has sent you today to meet me. May you be blessed for your good judgment and for keeping me from bloodshed this day and from avenging myself with my own hands. Otherwise, as surely as the Lord, the God of Israel lives, who has kept me from harming you, if you had not come quickly to meet me, not one male belonging to Nabal would have been left alive by daybreak. Then David accepted from her hand what she had brought him and said, Go home in peace. I have heard your words and granted your request. So he sees that God has used her 
to keep him from seeking vengeance and he's grateful for it. She kept him from sinning and in return he backs off. He accepts her gifts and he says, I've listened to you, I heard your words, now go home in peace. And that's exactly what she did. So let's not give David too much credit here. The guy is seriously whack with a huge, not great history. He's gruesome, he's a warrior, he's selfish, he's arrogant. He's on his way to commit murder and brutality and who knows what else. Um, he's a bit of a jerk and he's only honourable because people keep getting in his way and speaking God to him and he's quick to realise it and quick to go, oh yeah. And somehow he comes out on top every time and us, however many thousands of years later, are going, David, big son of God, like he... That's what makes him amazing is that he's pliable and his heart is malleable before God. But if Lily brought someone like David home, the door to her bedroom would be locked and she would not be leaving leaving there until like ever. If he walked in the church and put in an application to be the new pastor, we would probably ring Ben pretty quick say, Dude, you got some handcuffs, bring him down. Um, And then we would turn him away. Like his history and his CV and his resume is not great. But his heart, he is a man after God's own heart. His heart is pliable. He's quick to repent and God is quick to um, forgive because of that speed and truth in his repentance doesn't mean he stops doing his dodgy things doesn't mean he stops justifying his actions but when he's stopped by the hand of God he stops and he repents and he is forgiven and he could have ignored Abigail I mean it would have been quite culturally relevant for him to go get lost woman like what do you know you're just the wife Get back in the kitchen. But instead, he recognises God using her and he stops. He stops with his emotion and his passion. I don't know how many of us can say the same. When we're in the midst of anger and when we're in the midst of um, an argument and we think we're right and we think we're godly and we think we're biblically sound in that argument... If God tries to stop us, do we notice? I don't think many of us do. But Abigail is the peacemaker um, and she's the hero in the story today. And because we're always searching for the peacemakers, she is the perfect example. So through her wise actions... She protects her family from harm and prevents David from doing wrong. And when conflicts arise, which it will for all of us and which it does daily, what does she do? How can we look at um, Abigail as an example of a peacemaker? So the first point, probably should have been my last point because it's the bit that I love the most. This is why it came to my head first probably. But what we do first matters. 
Now, there's lots to be said for stepping away and taking it in and going, okay, just let me think about it. But when you are filled with the Holy Spirit, when you are acting in the wisdom of God, you don't need to sit and go, what's right here? What is right and wrong? She goes because she knows. She goes and she prepares and then she speaks. She didn't stop and say, I'm only a woman. I don't know what to do. The men are harsh and scary. She said, let's go. Let's forget the fear. Let's move forward in the courage of God and God's wisdom. And she takes action. She lost no time. Second, she's humble and gracious in her approach to David. She sought out the peace that she and God wanted. Three, she's generous, not only in possessions, giving David and his men what they were owed and what Nabal refused to give, but she knew that they would need this stuff. They'd been sitting there protecting and they'd had nothing other than what they brought with them. So it wasn't just that they wanted it, it was that they needed it and that they earned it. But she's also generous in words, giving David the benefit of the doubt all the time. She encourages David to look at the bigger picture, do the right thing and to turn away from the wrongdoing. She saves him from committing sin. She thinks of others before her own safety. So what she did first mattered. She's humble and gracious. She's generous. She's encouraging. She's faithful to God's spirit. She's faithful to the David of God's promises and how he will benefit from having a clear conscience. So are we looking out for what God is teaching us in a moment? Has he put something in way of our response when things are a little bit curly? Just because our reaction might be in accordance with God's response or in accordance with the Bible, it doesn't mean that it's our responsibility to do it. There's been this great thing that I've read a couple of times recently about um, the feeding of the 5,000. It's not our job to feed the 5,000. It's just our job to take the fish and the loaves and God does the rest. We take that first step, the step that we know is right and we act on it and God fills in the rest. Is our heart pliable to listen to the peacemakers of the world? Do we sit and think they're just saying what they always say, the peacemakers that step in? for those who are vulnerable? Do we roll our eyes and go, not this again? Or do we sit and take notice, move and act how we know to move and act, and then let God do the rest? We're going to come into a time of prayer now. Oh, look at that. Perfect timing. Um,
today is the beginning of Refugee Week. And I think it ties in beautifully with the message of Abigail as a peacemaker. Might be me, sorry. Um, So I'm just going to encourage you to have time for your own prayer or maybe prayer with those around you if you want to um, 